Sal Berry. I don't like it. I can't stop touching it, but at the same time, I don't like it. And Tim Parrish. Buffalo hot box. That might be something weird on Urban Dictionary, so I probably shouldn't have said that. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and with me is Tim Parrish, and today we're going to talk about the 2022-23 Upper Deck Artifacts Hockey Card Set, which just came out not too long ago. We're going to also talk about some other hobby happenings, and we're going to talk about some NHL stuff. Tim, what's going on? It's been about two weeks since our last show, because... I was busy getting ready for the Chicago Sports Spectacular, so I couldn't be editing a podcast. So I'm wondering what you did since we weren't podcasting. I'm sure you had a whole bunch of free time. I spent most of the time crying and sobbing to myself alone in a corner, a dark room. Because we didn't do a podcast last week? Yeah, it made me sad and depressed. I'm sorry. So if you ask me how I am now, I'm at least a 9.998 out of 10 because we are recording. Yes. So, uh... I think we should start with a pair of goalies that made the news recently in the NHL. I'm talking about James and Jordan. Sounds like it could be a Disney Channel show. Now return to the adventures of James and Jordan. One doesn't want to wear a pride jersey. The other one has emotional outbursts when his team is losing. Two fun-loving goalies that are in the news this week. It's interesting that you use those two names, even though those are their names. You would think we're talking about basketball with the two best basketball players of all time. Oh, my God, you're right, James and Jordan, right? Yeah, see? It's funny, though, because everybody just calls LeBron James LeBron. Like, nobody ever says, when I'm selling at a show, do you have any James cards? They'll say, do you got any LeBron? Do you have any LeBron James cards or any LeBron? So you're right, but I never think of him as James. Somebody asked me for James cards, I'd be like, did they make cards from that band? (laughs) They only had one hit, so. Two hits. Two? I don't remember the second one. I don't uh, okay, the what's the first one? Well, it was Laid. That was the only Laid. one I know. Yes. What was you the know, other one? Say something. Say something. I did. I said Laid. Something, anything. Oh, I don't know that one. That I, was out I, of my reach. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned the song Laid by James, because I realized that people just like it for the chorus, which is just him going, yeah, the yodeling part. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like the Mr. Bright side of like 20 years ago. 20, shoot, almost 30 years ago. God, I'm getting old. I feel like every generation has a song that comes out that's got some kind of thing like that in it. Some I mean, kind of whiny, emo-y, screechy, yodely. You can go back to the 70s with uh, Hocus Pocus by Focus. That's I, got a lot of yodeling in it. I, I don't know that song. You'll have to look it up. I'll, I'll look it Put up. Put a link yes. to it in the notes. Oh, God. You'll think and thank me later. Must we? Oh, God. Okay. So, anyways, getting back on topic, let's start with Jordan Binnington. Did you watch that game, the Blues and Wild game, where the uh, Blues lost 8-5 to to the Wild last week, Wednesday? I didn't watch the game, but I watched the highlights afterward and the uh, Donnie Brook that broke out. I had that game on. Yeah, that game started out pretty okay, and then it got pretty intense in the second period. But for those who haven't seen it, I think everybody's pretty much seen at least, like you said, the highlights. The Blues were getting trounced. They were playing at home. Jordan Binnington was upset, and he likes first he skates by the wild bench, and he's like challenging or yelling at all the players. I mean, 
fittingly, Ric Flair was in the building. It was Ric Flair night. They were giving away Ric Flair bobbleheads. Darren Pang even wore a Ric Flair wig in uh, when he was doing his in-between-the-benches thing. He had on a long blonde wig, and he was holding up the Ric Flair bobblehead, so it was kind of funny. But, you know, he's doing this WWE stuff where he's, like, skating by, yelling at the, the wild. And then when Ryan Hartman scored a goal, and what happened was, was Bennington slid out of the crease, and he, like, spun around. And as he spun around, his leg stuck out. And Hartman skated by, and his leg hit Bennington's leg. But it's only because Bennington did a 180, and his leg was extended. So Hartman kind of tripped over him, but he was going to his teammates to celebrate, right? Then Bennington skates up and starts punching Ryan Hartman with his blocker. Of course, everybody starts grabbing and, and swinging and whatnot. And Marc-Andre Fleury... Don't forget he still had a stick in his hand, too, so... Oh, okay, That wow. looked like it was going to fly and crack somebody upside the skull. At least drop the stick, right? Yeah. So Because he, he came gets... swinging over the top, and he had a stick in his hand, so it looked like he was going right at him. So Marc-Andre Fleury skates over to challenge him to a fight, to basically, like, let's oh, go, yeah, let's go, right? Him. He was mic'd up, yeah. So he tosses off his mask, drops his gloves. He tries to intervene, you know, because the ref or linesman has Bennington restrained. And they wouldn't let him fight. And then yeah. they toss Bennington from the game. And then Bennington ends up, well, he got a two for leaving the crease, five for a match penalty for punching Ryan Hartman with his blocker, and then a game misconduct. And then he got a two-game suspension for that. So that's what happened. Them's the facts. First of all, it was awesome that Flurry's mic'd up because if there's any goaltender you want to have a mic on and they're going to throw down, it's got to be Flower because he's hilarious. And as you can hear in the playback of the audio, he is pleading, pleading with the referees to let him go and let him fight. He's just telling him, come on, come on, it'll be fun. It'll energize the crowd. The crowd will get into it. Come on. And, I mean, the refs aren't having any part of that. I mean, they keep them, the two of them away from each other. They don't even really get into it at all. And for people that like hockey fights, those referees are easily persona non grata. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean... Okay, fine, you're breaking up a fight, but you're breaking up a potential goalie fight, which don't happen that often. With so much emphasis on taking fighting out of hockey, it's still entertaining. I'm not going to lie. You know, I don't like fighting for no apparent reason, which I guess there's never an apparent reason. I don't like the retaliation fights for, like, clean hits and stuff like that. I think those are stupid. But come on. A goaltender goes after a guy because he's frustrated and ticked off because he's given up goal after goal after goal and his team isn't playing in front of him to go after players when that's essentially like somebody coming after me or you wearing a full suit of armor with a flamethrower. I can't do anything to you, but you could certainly hurt me. I don't know about so the why not level the, but maybe a hatchet. But why not level the playing field and let the other guy that's wearing all of that? I will hire my champion. He's down there. Give him three seconds to skate over here. And... They did that, and the refs weren't having it. I've never been in a hockey fight, and I've never been in a hockey fight with a goalie or anybody. I've never been in a hockey fight. But I would think that actually goalies are at a disadvantage because of all that extra stuff that they wear. 
I mean, the players don't punch each other in the body. They only punch each other in the face. Side of the head, top of the head, face, chin, you know, uppercut, whatever. It's not like the old Blades of Steel game where you could do the punch to the head or punch to the body, right? I've never seen a player punch another player in the body. Now, if that were the case, then I could see, yeah, being a goalie and you have that chest protector that, like, protects, like, your whole torso, and you know, and then you got your arms protected, that'd be pretty good. Goalies always look so encumbered especially with like the modern equipment and they wear like these huge jerseys, which there's a lot to grab onto. And part of that is because goalies like that extra to grab onto because, you know, it was extra Jersey for the puck to get caught in. I mean, I would think that the goalies are at a disadvantage. And so I think when you have two goalies fight, they have the same disadvantage, but at the same time, usually goalies are not fighters. So I think it also levels the playing field and the fact that like, we're both level one fighters and we're both wearing a shitload of gear. So it's fair. Yeah. And that's kind of the point that I'm making. You have a guy, regardless of how small he looks, he looks gigantic. It's like Tony Stark putting on the Iron Man suit. This isn't Flurry's first attempted fight though. If you remember back in like 2014, the Penguins were against the Canadians and him and Peter Budai almost went at it. But again, the refs broke that one up too, before it even started. Cause there was a big, Big melee on the ice, and Budai skated out to the blue line and just started chirping. And Flowers just like, all right, fine. Threw off his gloves and started skating out there, and immediately the refs went after him. But I remember watching a video of Flurry fighting when he was, uh, I think it was in the AHL. May have even been below that. But it was a long, long time ago. I know he fought somebody. Cape Breton. Was that Junior, I think? Maybe it was Junior, yeah. Yeah. He had an actual goalie fight then that actually lasted for a little while, if I remember the video right. But yeah, so it's like, you know, we get deprived of these goalie fights and, you know, having a guy with a personality like that to get involved with, with something at that level is certainly fun to watch when it happens, but stinking refs. Do you remember the South Park episode where Timmy and Jimmy got into a fight and Cartman was running around and he was yelling, cripple fight, and everybody would come to watch him fight. I do not remember that. You don't remember that episode where Cartman no. was running around and he like throws open the door to like the local tavern and he yells, cripple fight, and everybody rushes out to see Timmy and Jimmy fight. So when there's a goalie fight, I want to hear Eric Cartman's voice over the loudspeaker going, goalie fight. I just think that'd be great, but that'll never happen. Yeah, not in today's NHL at least. So let's talk about yesterday's NHL because of course I'm going to draw a parallel. Not really. I guess I'm going to just point out that, you know, there was another goalie that used to get suspended a lot for fighting and stuff like that. Ron Hextall. When you said about Mm. a goalie losing his temper for getting lit up by the other team. And I think of Ron Hextall and, you know, my, how that's changed. Used to get, mad and angry for getting lit up but doesn't seem to care about getting lit up now so that's a different conversation the point i'm trying to make is that back then it seemed a little more extreme i mean okay punching a guy with a blocker is not cool ron hexel was entertaining i don't know if what he did was cool either but i feel like if ron hextall went after a player it was because he was mad and he wanted to fight that player. I feel like Bennington starts stuff 
with the expectation that the other five guys on the ice are going to back him up. And I feel like Ron Hextall would start stuff and he wasn't like saying, oh, I'm going to start things and then my teammates are going to back me up. I mean, that would happen anyways. But I, I felt like Ron Hextall, like when he went after Chris Chelios in the 89 playoffs, he was mad and he wanted to fight. And he wasn't like, well, I'm going to start something and then everyone else is going to pounce on this guy. You know what I mean? Like, does that kind of make sense? Like, I feel like Bennington starts things, but then it's like his teammates are on the hook for backing him up. Like, uh-oh, Jordan's starting another fight. Guess we're going to have to drop our gloves and square up and pull him out of this one, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense because obviously we're in a time where not only do they not like goalies fight, but rarely do you see the other players fight. So I'm sure he's thinking that. Do I think he would back off of somebody? I don't know. I think he'd throw down to get in a scrap. They don't build goalies like they used to, though. There are no Ron Hextalls anymore. There are no Billy Smiths anymore that are just going to slash the crap out of you when you're standing in front of them with a stick. It's just different. The closest we had was Ray Emery. Rest in peace. We deal with the cards that were dealt, and that's how the NHL is now. So, Do I want to see fighting gone out of hockey? No. Am I okay that it's been tempered? I guess, but don't ban it like the Q is doing. Hmm. I saw that came out. I don't necessarily agree with that, but yeah, maybe at the lower levels, maybe at the kid levels, you can cut it out. But Well, junior uh, hockey has fighting, but so you're saying the Quebec Major Junior League is not going to have fighting? Yeah, I think it was the Q that announced that fighting's starting next year. It's like banned completely. I think there's going to be like severe penalties if players get involved in actual fisticuffs. Well, you know, so, there's the Western League, so all the thugs can go there anyway. There's always the E. You know, the E cleaned up its act, supposedly. Cleaned up. ECHL? Yeah. But now we're talking about minor league hockey. That's a different right. thing. I mean, you got to get to that point. And if you're good enough to go past the junior levels and stuff, but you're not quite good enough for the NHL, it's one of your options. Right. Moving on, James Reimer, goalie for the San Jose Sharks, did not want to wear the Sharks Pride Night jersey during warm-ups on Saturday. He said that it conflicts with his Christian beliefs. Um, he's the second player this year who did not want to do that. Um, in January, Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov opted not to participate in warm-ups during the Flyers Pride Night. He didn't want to wear the Pride jersey. Yeah, okay, so we got that happening again. I don't know if I want to read Bennington's statement, because their statements always sound so nice. Like, I support everybody, and I love everybody, but I choose not to support them in this way kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what it is. I mean, I don't know what to think about this. Like, the thing is, is, like, if I was an NHL player and they said, here, go put on this jersey and warm up, I'd do it because I don't care. It doesn't bother me, right? I support the LGBTQA plus community. I have friends who are in that group and, you know, I'm supportive, but then I also feel like, can you make somebody do something they don't want to do? And, and I feel like, I feel like if you have to force somebody to support something, then it's not really support, then it's mandated. You know what I mean? It's like the players can wear the jerseys because the NHL wants to show that they support the community. And that's fine. And I think if the players are fine with it, 
then it's good. But I also feel, see, this is where it gets tricky because I don't want to say, well, the players can do whatever they want and say whatever they want. I don't know, man. Help me out here. I'm drowning here. <laughs> You're just twiddling your thumbs like excellent. Because there's not a correct answer for this. Do you know why there's not a correct answer? Because there's a vast contingent of people on one side and a vast contingent on the other. So you're not going to be able to appease everybody with whatever it is your opinion is. Because I don't think there is a blanket answer to call this. Now, you can point your finger at me and then call me a bigot and whatever because I just said that. Fine, do it. But like you just said, if you offer up, hey, we're all, we're all going to wear this jersey. I think you should wear it. Do I have to wear it? Well, no, you don't have to wear it. Okay, then I don't want to wear it. Okay, fine. Move on. But that's not what it is. It isn't any part of that. There isn't a rule in the NHL that says you have to do this and you have to do this. And you have to participate in this and you have to participate in that. There isn't. The NHL has already come out and said so. They said it's the player's choice. If a team decides that it wants to do something for whatever reason, whether it's for a pride game, military appreciation, police appreciation, women's appreciation, whatever you're doing, players don't have to participate in it. They've already announced that. It's not required. They can. They'd like them to, but they can't force them to. So right there, they're not going to make it a mandate. Because if it comes a mandate, then what's the point? You're just going through the motions anyway. Is it truly support if you don't want to support it? No, it's not. It's fake right? You're doing it because you have to do it. You know, just the typical Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined. That's what it becomes. So the people that go after those that get forced to speak what their opinions are and then get chastised for what those opinions come out as, I have a problem with them because for the same reasons that they're saying, well, you're not allowed to say that. Well, you're not allowed to tell me what I can and can't say. See, the whole idea of freedom of speech is people can say what they want. However, there's going to be a response for your actions. So you have to choose what you decide you want to be your MO going forward. And Reimer chose to make this a religious reason, kind of the same way Provorov did, only he explained it a little more. The problem is when you do that, you have every armchair expert on every religion and the Bible and whatever other mythology you want to say somebody believes in, whatever it is, coming out of the woodwork and analyzing what it is that you say. And the biggest one is, well, you know, you say that this goes against what Jesus preaches and this goes against what's in the Bible and blah, blah, blah. But you work on Sundays, that's in the Bible. You know, if there's a game on a Sunday, and I'm sure Reimer played in it, you know, so there's that. I'm sure you eat meat on Fridays or whatever it is. Whatever, right. And that's fine. If you've designed your religion to be a pick-and-choose religion, whatever. That's what you want to do. I don't care. Because, again, if we're also talking freedom of speech, then we're talking freedom of religion. And the NHL has a workplace. You can't violate somebody's constitutional rights. That's just the way it is. So... What I'm sick and tired of is all of the people, all of the righteous people that jump down everybody's throats after forcing them basically at gunpoint 
which in this case, it's not gunpoint, it's camera point or microphone point, and force them to say something. Everything is, we were trying 110%. It's a team effort. We got to, you know, dump it in, get pucks in deep. We got to chase. We got to forecheck. We got to do, you're sick of road answers. Okay. So somebody gives you their actual opinion on something and that's not good either because it's not the popular opinion and it's not what you want to hear. Maybe here, let me throw this one out to you. All right. Right. Since we're going to play this and I've already labeled myself the bigot here. You know, whether you think I am or not, we'll play the alphabet soup game. Whatever all the letters are, I don't even know what they all are. LGBTQ. A. I don't even know what. Well, they keep adding. They keep adding. They add in their plus on the end and who knows what. Right. I'm not an expert in it. I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. What if he does agree with or he has no problem with some of those letters, but does with others. So now all of a sudden he has to have a problem with the entire group because now they've lumped in these other groups with them, even though they probably aren't the same thing. Right. Well, what about that? What about I don't what? Know. I, I, what, I, I, what about what's your that? question? I mean, if you have these three groups of people that you have no problem with, but then you have these four other groups that you do have a problem with, but they all got lumped into the same group. Now, do you have to not like the entire group? Right. So you're okay with lesbian and gay, but maybe not okay with transsexual. I don't know. Maybe. Bisexual. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, what if that's the case? Right. I don't know. I mean, like you said, there's no easy answer. I think the problem is, is that because it's always like pick a side and it's always like you're with us or against us, you know, and there's no. Right. And like we're having a conversation about this, and maybe we should have somebody from the LGBTQA community join us for a discussion on this because I feel like I learned so much just from talking to other people. I mean, that whole dialectic method, right? You talk, you we don't even talk about things anymore. Now we just judge people, not you and me personally, but like people just rush to judgment. Like, you know, you talked about cancel culture, right? Like people just they just want to cancel you, right? Like I hate to say these words because they're also kind of cringeworthy, but when we talk about teachable moments, there is such a thing as that, right? And all we want to do is punish people. Punish, 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 and never, like, say, okay, here's why what you're doing is hurtful. Like, maybe say to James Reimer, you know, hey, we understand that this goes against your religion, but the Sharks have a lot of gay hockey fans and a lot of fans from the LGBTQA community. And when you don't want to show your support for them, that hurts them. And then it's like, so can you still have your beliefs, but wear this Jersey to show that, you know, you say you like everybody. Okay. Well now prove it. There's always a conflict. Not everything always fits perfectly. You know what I mean? Like you might say, I'm never going to do this, but then when push comes to shove, you might have to do a thing that you say you'd never do. And that's the thing. So like there needs to be more discussion on this. I don't have the answers. I don't oh, have the right be. answers. And neither of us are the people that probably be having this conversation because we're well, a, we're not involved. Right. But you know, and while both of us may be in our, our normal lives may, you know, encounter, you know, people that identify with that group or know people or have friends with our people or family members or whatever, 
that's not the story here. The story here is about what that jersey represents to a group of people versus what it represents to an individual versus what it actually represents to the organization. There's three different realms to that. And I don't right. I don't think we can get to the point of what the right answer is because if you're on the wear the damn jersey, okay, fine. But why? What does the jersey really mean? I mean, does it really mean that that shows that he supports everybody and he loves everybody? Or does that just mean that he's just there so he doesn't get fined? Right? Is he going through the motion? Does he really right. believe that? You think all those players wearing those jerseys believe in whatever cause of the jersey that they're wearing? Probably not. They're just like, hey, go warm up. Here's the jersey you're warming up in. And they just grab it and go. They probably don't think another thing about it. It's probably not something that crosses their mind. It probably doesn't go into any deep philosophical thing in their head because they wear those, they wear military jerseys, they wear whatever for whatever cause or whatever thing. Honestly, you want to get rid of all the controversy? You want to get rid of all that? Stop making them wear jerseys for different things. Stop making them do the anthems and before sporting events. You know, just stop all of it. I just agree. Go out there, play the game, go back in the locker room. Yeah, here's what they should do. Get rid of the anthems. They should play two unlimited, just get ready for this. And then drop oh, the yeah. puck. That Y'all should be the app. Yeah, they can do that. They should play that. They play that when the players come out. And then the music will fade out. And then they'll line up for the face-off. That's what they'll do. Here's a crazy idea. What if just they said to all the players, hey, if you want to wear this jersey, wear it. And if you don't, don't. That'll piss everybody off. Because uh, if they're not all doing it as a group, then it's a slap in our face. I mean, you know okay. That, you know, that's what they're going to do. That's what they do now. So... I'm glad you brought up military appreciation because I'm going to voice a very unpopular opinion. The military is necessary, but I'm not necessarily the type of person who's like, yeah, military. I'm glad we have an armed forces. But when they like say to honor the United States Army, it's like, why? Why don't we honor teachers? How about to honor teachers? We're going to wear teacher appreciation jerseys. How about the garbage men who, like, keep the streets clean and collect the trash, right? Like, I feel like... Oh, and that's we, my point. No, but Where do we, you draw we the tend, line? We, no, no, like, but you brought up military and police, and those are two things I very feel very strongly about, right? The police have been getting a bad rap these past few years, wouldn't you say? Of course. Yeah, and we know that there's bad cops, and we know that there's good cops, right? But I don't know if we necessarily need to show our appreciation for the police before a hockey game. The police get paid. They get paid to do a job. The military get paid to do a job. So I don't feel like we need to, like, beat our chests and show how, ah, yeah, oh, yes, we love our people with guns type of thing. I think the camouflage hockey jerseys are stupid. I'm sorry, I do. My best friend from childhood was in the Army. He was wounded. We argue about this stuff all the time. We're still best friends, but we argue about this stuff. We converse about this stuff. We try to see each other's point of view about this stuff. We try to reach some sort of understanding about this stuff, right? So I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe just get rid of it all together. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, okay, tonight is whatever night, whatever subjugated people we're going to... Ah. Skate out here on the ice and but and that's that's, that's a little different though. And 
I'm glad you brought that. Sorry, I interrupted, but you just made me think of something. If you've watched any Canadian team play a home game over the past couple of years, you notice how before the game, they'll have First Nations people come out representing the certain indigenous tribes of Canada, and they'll say something. You know, they'll talk, they'll come out like, I see that tend to see them a lot on Canucks games during hockey night in Canada. And they'll come out and they'll talk about like, you know, as the first nations people and the rest of Canada continue this healing and blah, blah, blah. I know I'm paraphrasing cause I don't really remember what they say. It's like, so they're acknowledging these tribes of people that have been oppressed for centuries, right? Oppressed, killed, you know, all, all those horrible things. And I feel like sometimes the NHL tries too hard to like say, yeah, Canada's been really shitty to the indigenous people. So now we're going to make up for it by letting them drop a puck before the hockey game. But then I kind of feel like that doesn't, it's like an overcompensation, but not in the right way, if that makes sense. But again, it's another one of those catch 22s. If you don't do anything, you're insensitive. If you do too much, you come across as browbeating it and pandering. I can go to the extremes and say, just wipe it all out. But obviously, that's not an answer either, because it's just not going to happen. It's it's not. I think it is great. If for nothing else, they make money off of those jerseys. So I think it is great that the NHL raises awareness of people who are oppressed or people who have been excluded and so you're recognizing their existence and there is power in that there is power in that as far as the auctioning off jerseys i'll tell you one thing that really upset me a couple weeks back it was the auction part of this so not the first part but the second part the first part was a young black artist from chicago designed these warm-up jerseys that the Chicago Blackhawks wore. And then after they wore them in the warm-ups, they were auctioned off. And the proceeds went to Chicago Blackhawks charities. And I said, what the hell? Why wouldn't they go to something like the United Negro College Fund or something to advance things for black people? You hire this young black artist to create these warm-up jerseys. The players wear them, and then you auction them off, and then the proceeds go to Chicago Blackhawks charities. What are their charities? Well, I'm sure they donate the money to whatever they want to, and maybe it does go to a cause that would be appropriate. But what bothers me about that is then that becomes a tax write-off for them because they donate to their own charity, and then that becomes a write-off for them. And I hate that i hate that whole idea right well, let's like be honest if they donated to any charity it'd be a tax write-off because that's how that's how corporations work don't think they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart no i don't think they are at all but what i'm saying is is like donating it to your own charity which in turn can then like oh the chicago blackhawks charity has donated five million dollars to this and you go yay that's great chicago blackhawks charity is so generous but that's money that they collected from auctioning off you know warm-up jerseys and stuff like that but your point is it's not the team donating the money it's no it's all of us that are buying all their shit that are donating the money 
Right, but then they yeah. get the credit for it and because it's from. It. I got yeah, you. Put it to this way: the Blackhawks had Pride Night jerseys, and they hired a gay artist to design Pride Night jerseys, and then those were auctioned off. That should go directly to something to advance the LGBTQA community, and not to the Chicago Blackhawks charity, who in turn might give it then to an appropriate charity. You see what I mean? I just hate that extra step. Well, that's the unfortunate step that you have in any corporate type scenario like that. This is not a topic that's neatly wrapped up. So maybe it'd be well, best to not. move along. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Signature Legends? I know you were all hot and bothered about this set. Did you buy a box? I can't find a box. Cannot so find no. a box. Nope. It was 200 bucks a box. It's 200 bucks now. It didn't start that way. What did it start at? Because I thought it was, was going to launch at 200 a box. Uh, I was, it was, uh, I was seeing a little bit less than that. Pre-sales were a little bit less than that. 200 is about as cheap as you can get it right now. Um, it was about 250 a week ago. I haven't found very many places that have it in stock. Let's put it that way. Wait, so it went from less than 200 to 250 to about 200. Two, 250 when everybody was sold out of it. And then I found a couple places online that have it again for 200. But mm -hmm. I can't find any places. The three closest actual physical brick and mortar places around me, they don't have it. So, no, I have not picked any up, but I've been watching. I've bid on some singles that I'm looking for, and hopefully those result well. And kind of go from there but what's driving this demand isn't the fact that people are anxiously uh trying to find their tony tanti autograph cards it's that they're searching high and low for these future watch autos that's what's driving this product and i thought it was going to be a little gimmicky turns out people are latching onto this because you got to think about it. These guys that are included in this set, especially with the checklist for the future watch autos, these are all guys from the era where everything was overproduced and rookie cards aren't worth a thing when it comes to dollar values. This is before SP existed. There were no future watch autos back then. So the fact that you're able to get a future watch auto card of Wayne Gretzky, yeah, it's not a 1979-1980 Topps or Opeachy card, but it's the name and people buy the name as we've already seen by the cup that's what people go after because it's that prestige right these things are selling like ridiculous numbers way higher than i thought they would so the interest is there they're just targeting those specific cards well it makes sense i mean they they're designed to look like sp authentic rookie cards but they're of like players from the 70s and 80s and 90s i mean i saw the dominic hashik one and I thought it was awesome. I mean, and it was a rookie year photo. I believe he had the 75th anniversary patch on his jersey. So that would yeah, have been... Yeah, the cards are awesome. The cards 91, are awesome. 92, so that's pretty cool. So, the cards are awesome. The photography's awesome. The pictures that they chose for him are great. I'm not knocking them at all. I just didn't think that they were going to be as popular because I thought people would be like, ah, oh, this is gimmicky and kind of stupid, but okay, sure. I didn't realize they were going to be just like crazy goo goo gaga like they are and they were going to sell like they are it's kind of way over the expectation that i had for it 
Do you happen to recall any of the other autographs that are in this set besides Gretzky and Hasek? Like I said, there's a lot of those early 90s guys in there. So Forsberg, Mike Madonna. Think of all the guys from like 89, 90, 91, 92. All the rookies from those years. Ronick's in there. Rod Brindamore. Also like Lanny McDonald, Mike Bossy, Bernie Nichols, Brian Trottier, Paul Coffey. These are all future watch autos? Yes. Doug Gilmore, Felix Potvin, Owen Nolan, Bernie Perrot, Bill Barber, Ted Lindsay, Marcel Dion, Dave Schultz, Chris Pronger, Ron Hextall, Sackick, Messier, even the likes of Tim Kerr and Guy Lapointe and Nick Lidstrom and Randy Carlisle and Steve Larmer, Adam Graves. A lot of the big names that are in the regular set, plus a mixture of some other guys that you wouldn't normally expect, like a Dave Taylor or a Frank Mahavlich or a Brian Prop. So the potential of getting future watch autos of, of all of these guys is like pretty good, especially considering half of them are numbered out of 199, like another 25% are out of 99, and the rest are out of 49. Like all the big dogs are out of 49, hmm. like Yager and Brodeur and Patrick Waugh and Mario. And out of 49. Wow. Yeah. That's harsh. The Hashik's out of 49, too. Mm, that's too bad. That's the only one I really want. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. And it may not be cheap. Brett Hall, too. There's a Brett Hall in the Calgary Flames. Yeah, as you should so, be. That's what seems to be driving the product right now. So maybe stores will get these back in. I don't know. There's supposed to be a retail version of it as well. I haven't seen those come out yet. So what's going on with TikTok as far as breaking goes? Because I know that there's been a lot of talk about TikTok and the United States government wanting to ban it because it's owned by a Chinese company. And we feel that like China is putting spyware into this app to spy on the people who are using it. You know, there's been talk about that, and the Chinese company is like, oh, no, well, you know, of course, we don't do any of that. And then there's pressure to sell it to an American company. But, of course, the Chinese company doesn't want to do that. I mean, they have, like, the most popular app at the moment right now. And, of course, you wouldn't want to sell it. But you say that something happened with people who do box breaks or case breaks and post them to TikTok. Well, the other thing about TikTok too is, remember, they're not their own company. They're owned by a bigger company. They're owned by ByteDance, which is headquartered in Beijing. And we still haven't gotten a straight answer from anybody that works at TikTok as to whether or not the board of directors of that company is made up of everyone in the Communist Party over there. So we'll see how that plays out in the end. But yeah, as far as the breakers go, they've been basically kicked off of TikTok. TikTok came out with an announcement that basically said that they're blocking any content, any video content on the platform over concerns over whether or not the activity actually constitutes illegal gambling. And they've labeled opening up breaks that people buy into as illegal gambling. They're putting it into a category called surprise trading card packs it's hard to argue that's not what they are for anybody that lives under a rock or has no clue what a what a break is somebody buys a bunch of boxes they do a a break where they make it available where you can buy in 
pick a team, pick a player, do something random, whatever it is. You pay X amount of dollars. You have a shot at whatever's in the product. They bust it all open on camera. You supposedly get the hits or maybe some of the cards, maybe all the cards, whatever the rule is for that particular break. Card breakers profit. You get the cards, whatever it is, what it is. But the thing is, you don't know what's you don't know what's there. That's where the gambling part comes into the thing. And opening trading cards is a gamble. But if you go and buy your own trading cards, you get what you bought. You don't know what you bought until you open it, but you get what you bought. There's not like a bait and switch going on. There's no chance that you're going to get, that you're not going to get what you bought. I use that in quotes because, as we know, sometimes you don't get what you bought. But, you know, those types of things can be fixed. When they get to a point where, a major social platform is shutting breakers down because of the fear of gambling. It's being pushed from something. So obviously TikTok's legal department got together and said, hey, we've gotten complaints or something's happened that's caused us to pay attention to this more. And we think we'd be best served nixing the entire thing. Why? Well, I can't see TikTok making any money off of what breakers do on video breaks on there. So really what's the incentive of them keeping it on if there's any gray area as to whether or not it's gambling or not, right? There really isn't. There's no monetary reason for it. Why bother leaving it on there? And we've already seen PayPal come down on breakers with their gambling prohibition codes in their fine print. Even when those activities and stuff are actually not defined as gambling within the jurisdictions where they're being done. You know, they have in their things about games of chance and games of skill and all of that that require entry fees and prizes and all of that kind of stuff. That's part of the PayPal user license agreement. So a lot of breakers have been kind of tossed off of PayPal or their accounts have been blocked and things like that. That already has happened. So now you have TikTok coming out and saying, hey, you can't do this. With one caveat, though. You can still sell surprise trading card packs, but you're now required to offer them only in the manufacturer's original packaging and completely intact without alteration. And they have to be sealed, which essentially means breakers can sell boxes or cases or packs, but they can't sell to open on camera so breakers can't break basically breakers can't break this thing varies state by state right every state has its own regulations and i don't know what the rules are in canada and every state has their own thing but when you break down all the elements of gambling right gambling comes out to three things and and any definition of the way gambling is set up it's three things there has to be a prize you have to have a chance and there has to be consideration those are the three things that boil down to any case of whether something is gambling or not. So if you remove one of those from those three, it ceases to become gambling by definition. Can you define consideration? Consideration is just a price. There has to be a price to get into it. So there needs to be a prize. There needs to be a price. Cost to get in, a chance to win, and a prize at the end. Those are the three things. Okay. And if there's those three things, it's gambling. If you eliminate one of those, it can 
skate under the guise of not gambling. So think of it this way. Trading card companies, I mean, this was back in, what year was that when trading card companies got sued? It was like in the 90s, I think, for you know saying that they were going to have X number of cards in a box or you had a chance at getting an insert or whatever, and they got sued and it you know, got settled or whatever it was, but that's when the whole no purchase necessary thing started. Now, you'll see on the packages, no purchase necessaries on all of them, right? So I don't have to buy this and I could still get a chance at pulling a card? Well, technically, yes, because they have to offer that. Because what does that do? That eliminates the consideration part. So they would call those the NPN programs, no purchase necessary programs. And I remember back in like, 0506, I remember when I was buying a lot of Parkhurst hockey, I remember they'd say for a chance to win, send your name, address, phone number on a three by five index card to this address. And they'd say limit one entry per household per day. And I remember like every day for a month, I wrote to Upper Deck and actually like one day I randomly got padded envelope. And I opened it and it said, congratulations, you won the NPN program. And then it was like just some random Jersey card. I mean, it wasn't anything that I even remember what it was. But then I think if I remember correctly, and this is like 15-ish years ago, that it said something like you can only win once every 30 days. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, since I won, I had to wait before I write in again. And then I just never did it again it's like well if this is what i'm gonna win then forget it so i'm looking at the back of a box of 2122 opeachy because i had an empty one sitting over here no purchase necessary right on the back to enter to win an insert card and here's the instructions either go to this website or put your name on a card like you did put it in an envelope and send it here So it's still there. So that eliminates the consideration because if it's no purchase necessary, you didn't buy in. So there's no consideration because it was Uh, no purchase. I see. Okay. So So yeah. It's not an illegal contest, right? Because it's no purchase necessary. So that's how they do that. And find me a breaker that has that. You want to be in this break? I'll let you in my break for free. No, it doesn't happen. I know most people who listen to this know what break outbreaks work basically you kick in a certain dollar amount so say i buy a box of upper deck series one and i say 50 bucks a team i'm just using easy math right 32 teams 50 bucks whatever i can make a lot of money and you pull detroit red wings and you get all the detroit red wings or maybe you randomly i say you pull i mean you you either are assigned a team randomly that's a random team break or to pick your team PYT. And to pick your teams, they usually charge you more based on what the team is. So like in, say, 22-23 Upper Deck Series 1, you'd pay more for Seattle Kraken because you could potentially get a Maddie Beneers Young Gun, right? That'd be a good team to get, right? Whereas like Chicago Blackhawks would be far less because I don't think they have any good Young Guns in Series (laughs) 1 or any good prospects lately. Lucas Reichel. Well, okay, Lucas Reichel, that's a good one. But anyway, it's gambling. We agree it's gambling, right? You're paying money. You can win a prize. And what was the other thing? There has to be a chance. You have to have a chance of winning. So if you say that you have a chance of winning a Matty Beneers Young Gun, 
but you know that there isn't a Maddie Veneers Young Gun in those boxes. There's no chance. That's false advertising. So the boxes that you're opening or whatever you're doing, they may contain what it is you're saying that there's a chance that you can win. Now, let me throw something out real quick. Because I know for a little while, Jim Howard was participating into buying into box breaks. And I forgot what year this was. I'll have to link to it. But he bought into a box break. Islanders was the team that he was given. And they did the box break before the checklist was released. Like they were so anxious to like start breaking boxes and sell those spots. So he drew Islanders and he got two base cards for like $15 is what he spent. But then a couple days later, the checklist came out and he said, wait a minute. There are no Islanders jersey cards in this set. And there are no Islanders autograph cards in this set. So I was assigned Islanders, but I had no chance of getting a hit that was an Islander. And they said, you're right. We're sorry. They didn't refund his money. But they just basically said, we'll just put the $15 credit towards your next break. And he said, that's fine. A credible breaker, in my opinion. Well, yeah, but I Somebody mean, come that on. did the right thing. If you don't have a chance, you know. This is always buyer beware. Always. Breaks are always buyer beware. If you don't do your homework about, first of all, the product that you're going into break with. That's most important. Don't just buy into breaks because you love the adrenaline rush and the breaker is your drug dealer and the boxes are your drug. Yeah. Don't do that because that's stupid and that's silly. Know what you're buying. Know what options you have. Know what the chances of what you're going to get. You know, don't overpay for a break that you have no chance of getting something in. And granted, if there's no checklist available for something, they probably shouldn't be breaking it anyway, because how would they know how to fairly price it? That's a whole different conversation. Two, know the breaker that you're dealing with. If you're new to it and you've never dealt with these people before, ask around, ask people what they're like, you know, look up their information, whether it's on eBay or whatever platform that they use, find out what's going on and figure out if they're reputable or not. Because God knows we live in a society now in the last few years when it comes to the hobby that there's plenty, plenty of breakers out there and there's a pile as high as Mount Everest of ones that aren't very good and ones that are shady. The list goes on and on and I'm not going to start naming names because you know who they are. And if you listen to the show before, you know who they are. If you listen to any of the shows out there, you know who they are. And you follow social media in the hobby, you know who they are. We've got rumors floating around that there's manufacturers like feeding loaded boxes to certain breakers. If they appear trustworthy and you didn't do any research, again, buyer beware. What's the Latin term? Caveat emptor. Yes, buyer beware. Yeah, let the you buyer know. beware. And that's exactly it. You have to get to the point where you know what you're doing. Look, I've done plenty of breaks over the years. I bought into breaks a bunch of times just because. Sometimes it's been curiosity about the product because I didn't open it myself and I don't have it available. Other times it's been an expensive product I didn't want to buy. Wanted to take a shot at a team and see what I got. That's usually the case because nine times out of ten, if I want a product, I'll go buy the product. You're never going to see me jump into a cup break, especially with some of the ones I've seen recently floating around on social media where the breaker is pocketing over $1,000 after all said and done. 
based off of normal pricing of what it would cost to buy, plus adding in certain percentages for shipping and expenses. It is still pocketing about a thousand bucks. Well, they do it to that make kind money, of stuff, though. but that kind of stuff, that's silly. That's blows my mind silly. And if you want to stuff their pockets, by all means, if they're offering you glitz and glamour and fireworks and explosions and all of that, that, that keeps you engaged and you love that content. Great. Do it. Feed their kitties for them. I'm not going to do that, but I guess the bigger thing about all of this, TikTok cuts them out. Who's next? Who's the next social media that are going to say, you know what? They had the right idea. We should probably do that too. Is it going to be YouTube? Because YouTube's not monetizing any of this stuff. They're not making money off of it. Unless you're selling ad space. Facebook? Is Facebook going to cut them out? Twitch? Are they going to cut them out? Twitter? Any of these platforms? Are, are they going to come in and be like, hey, this is gambling. We can't be part of that. We're cutting it out. Who's going to be next? The other thing is, none of this is regulated, right? right? Never has been. Probably never will be. If it was, we probably wouldn't have this problem. But then again, if it was regulated, it'd probably be more expensive. It might be. That's going to cut into the breaker's profits. And it's also going to probably cost the buyer more, potentially. And it might. Oh, and then you have to report it as a winning. So then you pull a a full Caulfield autographed cup card and it has a value on eBay of $4,000, right? So then you have to pay taxes on that winning. So, yeah, it would actually cost the buyer more money. It would. And the thing is, it it boils down to who would get involved. I mean, obviously, it's going to be lawmakers that would get involved. It's going to be the government that gets involved. I'm going to tell you right now, the government doesn't care. They don't care about this stuff. They don't Small care about potatoes. breakers. They don't Compared care about this. I'd be shocked if there was anybody even had this on their radar or whatever. But what if the government did get involved? Let's say they did. We all know how the government is when they get involved with stuff. They start putting in regulations. They start putting in oversight. And I'm not saying that this industry doesn't need that. But generally, rather than address the individual problems, which would be the untrustworthy breakers, the fraud that goes on, the backdoor deals that go down, you know, those types of things that screw over the consumer, what they do is they take a broad swipe at everything and they screw everybody because that's the only way they know how to fix things. They don't pick and choose the individual problems, they just wipe it all out. So that's kind of what the government regulation would do. State licensure, maybe, because you have state-regulated gambling things, and if you're going to label this gambling, why not make breakers go out and get a license to do breaking? Call it a breaking license, just like a business license. There'll be liability for it. There'll be review over the license. They have to apply. They have to go through the process, get the license to be able to break. They're a license breaker. Gives them that more prestige, that more level of trustability. Maybe puts them in a different category. That's probably all going to be a moot point because, as we all know, and is looming in the background, Fanatics is about to become controlling of pretty much all the licensing except hockey for now. They're going to be controlling product production, product release, product distribution, There's talk that they're going to be, if not acquiring a platform to use for their own breaking, they're going to create their own. It's going to be one or the other. What's that going to do? 
is that going to cut out all the other alternatives? Like the whatnots that are out there or the loops or all the different groups that are in the discord chats and all that kind of stuff. Is it going to cut all them out because they can't now not get product because they're not authorized by fanatics to do this kind of stuff on their behalf because maybe they don't do it like fanatics wants them to. Maybe fanatics has a script. And if you don't agree to follow the script, when you break their product, you don't get to break their product. So they could cut breakers out completely and do it all in-house and do it all themselves. So I think even though this is just one thing that happened, one platform that happened, and maybe one that people don't think of in the hobby because it's TikTok and it's not people dancing and doing whatever on the screen. Obviously, you can tell I use TikTok every day. Ah, this could be the first domino, really. I don't know. I think it's something to watch. All right, moving on. I was at the Chicago Sports Spectacular this past weekend. just want to talk about that real quick. I was set up to sell. It was okay. It wasn't as good of a show as I had hoped. It was a more solid show back in November. I definitely am feeling that some of that fervor has died down of the card craze of 2020, 2021. All of 2021, all card shows were just like ridiculous. 2022, very, very good. Now, first major show of 2023 I've done, and it was okay. It was okay. I mean, I did a Ludic show earlier this year, and, you know, that was okay too, but that's a smaller one-day show. Three-day shows, you can really sink or swim. Like a one-day show, you might pony up 40, 50 bucks for a table, and if you don't Make your table, you go, all right, it's 50 bucks, right? Not the end of the world. Bigger show, you're looking at like $400, $500. That's a lot of overhead. And a bad day could really sink you. So just a couple of thoughts about the show. There were a lot of autograph guests, but there were only two hockey players. There was Ray Bork and Bobby Orr. Now, I'm going to ask you, without looking it up, because you could look it up and find this out online. Bobby Orr, $199 for an autograph on a puck. Or a flat up to 11 by 14. And I'm pretty sure if you really wanted an 11 by 14 photo of Bobby Orr signed, you could probably find one for less than that. From like, say, Frozen Pond or something like that. Or Fanatics. I'm sure you could. 249 for a stick. There were a lot of people getting sticks signed. Equipment or multi-signed items, meaning items that were signed by other players oh by the way all of these said in parentheses non-rookie card non-rookie card so there was a separate fee if you wanted to get a bobby or 66 67 tops card signed how much do you think it was to get a rookie card signed if it was 199 for a flat or a puck 249 for stick equipment or multi-signed item how much do you think a rookie card was i don't want to burst your bubble because i already know the answer but all right, well then just say it. 900 bucks. 899. Sorry, you went over. <laughs> like price is right rules. Yeah. 900 bucks to get a Bobby Orr rookie card signed by Bobby Orr. It's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would it's... agree. <sighs> I mean, it's not like he was uh like like the VIP guy that you got for free or anything. Like everybody had to pay for him. 
and even the VIP package ticket people, while they were discounted, it was still a, a lot of money for auto, autos. Mm-hmm. That was being billed as like his first time ever in a Chicago show. I don't know whether that's true or not, but maybe that's the reason for the upgrade because they thought people were going to be more interested. What did you think of the line it's for him? Was it packed all day or? It was packed, but when I kind of like craned my neck and looked, because I was like maybe two aisles back from the autograph area. It was just like mobbed. Lots of people. You know, a lot of people were there on Saturday in or jerseys. A lot of people were telling me they were getting his autograph. You know, because I sell a lot of hockey and I got my puck junk banners up. So, of course, hockey people would kind of find my booth and stop in and we'd talk. I'll tell you, there was a lot of excitement about this. I mean, I remember going to other shows and people mentioning, oh, did you hear Bobby Orr's coming to the Sports Spectacular next month, right? You know, so there was there was hype about this, and that's good. Meanwhile, Ray Bork is 75 bucks for a flat or 100 bucks for anything else. I know, but you see, and here's the thing. It. I want to get a hockey card signed by Ray Bork. No, I want to get like 12 hockey cards signed by Ray Bork. But... Not 75 bucks a card. Like 50 bucks, I would be like, you know, I really want to get his 8182 tops, not his rookie card. I'd love to get the 8182 tops card signed because I have a lot of 8182 tops hockey cards autographed. So that would be like a nice early 80s card of his to get signed that would also fit in with, you know, I could go over like 100 cards signed from that set. So a couple other things. Allegedly, there were another 250 tables set up at this show. So, you know, the the guy split space with, this is what he told me. Because what happened was, was that, you know how they they have the sports spectacular and it's in a large room. Well, they had this extra room that was opened up. They called it the forward area. And it was weird because, like, you stepped into this other room. You know, remember, like, at the um, National, how they have, like, the breaker pavilion and it's like a separate room. And then they had like the, um, remember that one year they had the uh, Olympic collectors area and that was like a separate room. Yeah. It was kind of like that. It was a separate room. It was all new school people. And by new school, I mean like people that had like little wheel of fortune, spinny games and custom screen printed tablecloths with their logos and colors on them. And like, like it almost felt like a trade show. Like you walked in there, it was a it was very different. Like where I'm set up, because I'm set up with a guy who's been doing this show forever. So I'm kind of more towards the front of the show. I'm fortunate because location is everything at a show. I mean, you remember how terrible it is all the way in the corner by the windows and the the bathrooms and how nobody goes in that section. And sometimes the lights don't even work in that section and it's kind of dark. You feel bad for those guys. I get a lot of foot traffic and I'm partnered with somebody who has a lot of hockey stuff. So it works out for me, but it's definitely a lot of older dealers in my section. And then the further back you go in the show, it starts to become newer and newer people and then in that ford area as they called it or the forward room or whatever i swear it was like almost all new people 
there were some people that I knew from the Oak Creek card show from Wisconsin that were set up there. They were all kind of grouped together and they were kind of a little more old school with like vintage old baseball and old football and old hockey and stuff like that. Actually, I don't know about old hockey. I didn't really see any vintage hockey, um, at least not there. But it's just funny because otherwise it just felt like a trade show where like everybody had like this really big, expensive, impressive backdrop behind their table with their logo. And it's like, ooh, I've never heard of XYZ cards <laughs> established 2021. And then you go to where I'm set up. and I was just going to say that I bet it was all established in the last 48 months. Yeah, pretty much. And then you look at like all the dealers in my section. I'm the only one who has signs. Well, that's maybe not true, but I have signs. The guy I'm partnered with doesn't have signs. The people on one side of me, they have signs because they are they have all those discount uh, sports jerseys. They have a sign. But like on the other side of us, there's this gentleman who is an older gentleman and he has a lot of posters, but he doesn't have any signs or anything. And the guy across from me and then, you know, they're just old school dealers. You know what I mean? Like no frills dealers. Yep. So anyway, so from what I understand in November, they're going to actually not have that forward area. So that's going to be less tables in the fall. So maybe, maybe that'll maybe be they just had so much interest that they had to, for the sake of making money, they had to open it up. They did. But now at the same time, I'm wondering if that meant I was competing with more people for their dollars. And I think I was, I had more competition. Now I know when I told you that you're like competition for hockey. Well, no, I have other stuff, but the point is, is that if they go and spend at another dealer and then they come to my table and they go, Oh, that's a cool shirt, but I spent all my money. Yeah. I mean, look at the national, the national is huge. And that's why you need five days to really go through it. Maybe three days. The first time I went to the National, I went for one day, and literally I just had enough time to go from one end of the show to the other. Didn't have time to double back. Didn't have time to do anything. Just go from one end to the other and just bought things as I saw them, and that's what I did. Yeah, and I don't spend a lot of time at the National either. I mean, it's generally just one day. Obviously, I don't get to every single table, but I know what I want. I'm only looking for certain certain things, and mm -hmm. I know what to look for. And if I don't see it within a couple seconds, I'm out. Next guy. So a couple of uh, other observations besides the more tables equals more competition. Most dealers I spoke with reported that the Friday sales were pretty good, but the Saturday sales were kind of disappointing. Now, not every single dealer I spoke with said that, but almost everyone said that, yeah, Friday was good. Friday was actually, hey, all right, this is going to be a good show. And then Saturday... They did less sales on Saturday than Friday, which is unheard of. Usually Saturday's the strong day. Um, part of that could be because on Friday, a lot of people came because there were $20 autograph guests. No hockey guys, but guys like Jack McDowell, Anthony Thomas, Otis Wilson, Ray Mercer, Michael Moore, Junior Jones, you know, who are signing any item, $20, right? So that was a bit of a draw on Friday. On Saturday, they didn't have any $20 autograph signers, $40 and up or $35 and up with a lot of them being, you know, $199 or $79 or $149 or whatever. You know, the other thing that stood out to me is I saw a lot of young kids, four, five young kids who are brand new Ranger fans because Patrick Kane got traded to the Rangers. It's funny because you always ask to cheer for the team or the player. 
And, you know, they were, I remember one dad came in with two small boys and they were wearing Rangers jackets. And I said, oh, you guys are Rangers fans. But the dad was wearing a Cubs hat. So I was a little perplexed by that. And he's like, yeah, they're Rangers fans because Patrick Kane is now on the Rangers. And then two days later, another dad with two little boys came in and they wanted Patrick Kane cards and they were Rangers fans as well because Patrick Kane's on the Rangers, which I just thought was an interesting observation that, um, and that there was definitely some interest in his cards, a little bit of a spike in his interest because he's with the Rangers and he's starting to play pretty well for them. Now when he retires, will they still be Rangers fans? That's my question. So it doesn't matter when he retires, he's going to sign a one day contract with the Blackhawks and come back. Woof. I hate that. <laughs> you know, one thing that was nice, I had a couple of podcast listeners stop by, said how much they liked the show. Really? Yeah. Uh, wow. That was cool. They weren't throwing rotten vegetables at you from a distance? No, but I threw them each a t-shirt. So, you That's know, cool. one of the Puck Junk logo t-shirts. I wore that yesterday, actually. Comfortable. You know, it was nice that there were like some actual hockey collectors who came to my table. I was actually joking with a couple of them. I was saying how when people say, do you have hockey cards? And I go, why, yes, I do. And then I kind of like show them my cases and then they roll their eyes and walk away like I insulted them. Because when they say, do you have any hockey cards? What they really mean is, do you have any PSA 10 Ovechkin young guns? When they say hockey cards, that's what they mean. So when they say, do you have any hockey cards? And I say, yeah, here, take a look. And they go, oh, wow, you get a lot of nice stuff. That feels good. You know, even if they don't buy anything, that feels good. Well, it feels better if they buy something. But it feels good that to real collectors, they like what I have. And the guys who just want to flip stuff don't like what I have. Or that want to buy a high-end graded card don't like my stuff. I mean, you can't please everybody. Nope. It's nice when people think the stuff that you have is cool. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can get compliment, sometimes that's the thing. Speaking of compliments, I understand you left a compliment for an eBay seller recently. Do you care to elaborate on that? Would I care to? Rather not, but I left my first my first mean tweet. No, I'm just kidding. I left my first negative comment on the Oh, complaint. I thought for the it was first time. Complaint. This is like the first time in well over 10 years, I haven't left a negative for anybody on eBay. This was the first one. Guy basically called me a liar. I'll break it down for you. Bought something back in February. It finally showed up to the house a few days ago in one of those We Care packages from the lovely post office with a shredded envelope. The card was inside the envelope, so you think, oh, well, maybe it's okay. Now, he sent it, uh, charged three bucks in shipping and sent it in a uh, PWE with a stamp on it. Put it in a screw down holder inside the envelope. Didn't secure it to anything. Not that that would have made a difference because as everybody that ships on eBay knows, standard plain white envelopes are shipped, standard first class letter mail, which is all machine sorted and goes through a machine. And if it's thicker than a quarter inch and it's not consistent, it's going to get jacked up when it goes through the machine. Maybe it won't. Chances are it will. And it did. Crushed it. 
crushed the screw down. The whole screw piece around the top was all cracked around it. It was broken off. The bottom corner got crushed and smashed, which then damaged the card, bent the corner right where the cut in the, uh, mm-hmm. the acrylic was. So it was a mess. So I pulled it out of there, to, and I was like, well, maybe the card's okay. And then I picked up the case, and it wasn't. I let the guy know and explained it all to him, but I politely started it off with, I'm sure this is the first time this has ever happened to you, but, and I explained what happened, and the guy's like, I mean, considering this is the first time I've ever heard anything like that, I think that's a stretch, essentially calling me a liar. So I gave him a few days to make another comment because I sent him pictures and I told him, I said, well, I sent you all the pictures. Here you go. And uh, left to go for a couple of days and no response. So, oh, well, that's what happens. Did you file a complaint with eBay? Did I file a complaint? No. Are you going to? No, because I'm not sending the card back. I had a card that came to me damaged. It was an eight by 10 card from 9798 leaf studio mm-hmm. it was one of the cards with all the little holes in it that made like the player sil- oh it's called a silhouette the silhouette ba- card yeah. yeah it's basically a bunch of little pinholes in the card and you hold it up to light and you see a silhouette of the player so anyway the guy mailed it in a regular envelope like not a regular envelope it was an it was a manila envelope so it was an eight and a half by eleven envelope and then he took two nine pocket pages and he taped them around the card. And then he slid in a piece of cardboard to keep the card stiff. But the piece of cardboard was smaller than the card. So, of course, it got bent in the mail because it was kind of floppy. And you have a piece of cardboard that's smaller and the, the trading card, which is bigger because it's an 8 by 10 card. So it got bent kind of around the cardboard a little bit. So it had a crease. And or it had some sort of damage. Now, I don't have a picture of it in front of me. And the guy said, well, if you look at the picture in the auction, it has damage. And I go, yeah, that's true. It does have some noticeable flaws. I'll give you that. But now look at this picture that I'm sending you. And you can see the flaws that the card now has because of the way you shipped it. I reached out to eBay and they refunded my money. Did you have to return it? I did not. Oh, so what card did you buy? I guess we should know this. This is a, uh, another Parkhurst Garen rookie. Bill Garen, 91-92 Parkhurst update. Yeah. So you're the reason why nobody can have this card, because you have like 400 of them now? Correct. How many do you have? Not 400. More than nine? Yes. So you can mm-hmm. fill a nine-pocket page? I fill a few of them. Okay, maybe this is the Lord's way of saying you need to stop collecting Bill Guerin Parkhurst update cards. How about no, stop telling me what to do? Huh? I said, how about no, and stop telling me what to do? You're not my real dad. (laughs) I will do what I want. Yeah. I need all of them. I need everyone I can find. No, I mean, if if I see them and I find them, I try to get them. Yeah. Okay, first of all, they're not the most sought after card. But at the same time, they don't pop up that often. I mean, it was a mail order set. And a lot of those sets didn't get broken up, nor did they get redeemed, for that matter. 
So yeah, it's a junk wax era and there probably are a million of them. But when there's 20 million of the other ones, that makes it a little more scarce. Very true. And if there's a million of them and 750,000 of them never got sent out to consumers, where did they go? They get burned up in a fire, thrown to the bottom of the river. Are they still in the upper floor of a warehouse somewhere? I don't know. Well, remember, Parkhurst was made by ProSet back in 91, 92. And Series 1, Series 2, Parkhurst came out during 92. Like, Series 1 came out at the beginning of 1992. Series 2 came out late enough that I believe it had the 91-92 statistics on the backs of the cards, which is weird because the set was from 91-92, but it came out late enough that it had those stats on the back. The update sets you had to mail away for, those were obviously produced later on, like over the summer. The thing was is that by the fall, ProSet was having financial problems because I actually mailed away to pro set i don't think i ordered the update parkhurst set i do know i ordered a blackhawks throwback jersey from them and they sent back my check in a letter and they said we're no longer doing mail order so there was a very short window of time to order that set that the bill garen card that you bought came from as you know yeah, and those numbers I was throwing out, the millions of numbers, I mean, those are probably not right. In fact, honestly, I like to shroud myself in secrecy, but I mean, to be honest with you, I've I've read before that there were 15,000 of those sets made, the update sets for the okay. mail order. I don't know whether that's true or not, because they I don't think they were actually stamped or serial numbered. No, they're not. Um, I've but, opened a sealed one. Yeah, the that was always the rumor of those, but... You know, whether that's true or not, okay, let's say it is true. So there's 15,000 of, the, of these cards somewhere. If I have 30 of them, that doesn't, so what? That doesn't even dent, dent that total. You got to share the wealth of those Bill Guerin rookie cards. I'm sorry, extended rookie cards. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on. Artifacts. Like we promised at the top of the show, 22-23 artifacts. Let me just give the basics here. A box has eight packs. You have four cards per pack. Boxes are currently selling for about 140 bucks. A box has three hits per box, and those hits can be any of the following. An autograph, a memorabilia card, or a tech card, tech insert. That's one of their highfalutin inserts with all chromium or stuff like that. One rookie redemption or clear-cut card per box. Now, I believe that counts as one of the hits because... The box that I opened, I got a card that had a piece of a jersey and a piece of a patch, another card that had two jersey pieces, and I got a rookie redemption card. And then I got five parallel cards and then 22 base cards. So, I mean, you get 22, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I got like 30 cards in a box. So you have to really want artifacts for... for <laughs> For 30 cards, you're spending $140. Look, Artifacts goes back to a time when it actually meant something. If you remember the first year that Artifacts came out, it was a different set. Like, there wasn't really 
something that was like that that promised those types of things and it was mostly pieces of jersey and pieces of fight strap and pieces of pants and pieces of gloves and pieces of all of this kind of stuff because that's what it is it's artifacts and what would you expect in an artifacts thing artifacts when an archaeologist is digging somewhere they expect to find artifacts and so you don't want just cards you want something to get and artifacts has always been the product that has a lot of jersey cards as part of its soul so to speak it's certainly not a box that you dive into buying to complete base sets that's for sure especially now that the base set checklist is bigger when it was essentially 100 cards with maybe 50 rookies later on yeah you're all right it was 100 cards with 50 rookies and 25 or 30 high numbers yeah maybe you could get by with that too but you know, now that we've gotten to the point where, you know, the base set itself is 250 cards, it's a little more daunting, especially at that price point. I'm going to agree with you on the quality of, well, I don't know if you brought this up. I think you did, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. The quality of artifact jersey cards has really gone downhill in the past two years. I know we talked about last year's set, but I look back at like previous years And I've gotten some nice cards and I've gotten some okay cards. But I mean, like, I got a card that was numbered four out of four. It was Jakob Voracek of the Blue Jackets. And it was a laundry tag. No, I'm sorry. It was the size tag from his jersey. And I said, you know what? It's not a player I collect. It's not a team I collect. But this is a cool freaking card. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. Like, now, I mean, for instance, I got a card of Dylan Cousins, and it's got two blue swatches. I would be happy with one white and one blue. If you're going to have two, why do they need to be the same? It's kind of boring. I got this card of Yegor Sharangovich. Oh, these Russian names. Yegor Sharangovich. Yeah, right? Oh, wow. Is that a patch? Yeah, it's a patch, and nice. it is a white piece of jersey. That wasn't a patch on the other side? It actually could be a patch piece. I'm not sure. Could be a part of a number. You know? At least it's and a it, patch. It's got to have a lower serial number on it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's out of 65. And I got a rookie redemption for LA Kings. For whoever the Kings rookie is that's going to be the redemption for this. I haven't looked it up yet. I don't think they have that list yet. But, uh, you know, and I got some parallels. Like, this one that I got that I don't particularly like, it's called Wood. It's a wood parallel. Supposedly, it has like a wood grain texture imprinted into the card. Or I think it's just maybe the background. That is your other hit, by the way. Oh, this? That is one of the tech cards. Oh, weak. Okay, let me explain to you guys real quick. This card is called wood, right? That's the name of the parallel. But let me tell you what it feels like. It feels like stadium floor is what I'd call it. It's like that kind of sticky, tacky feel. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like when you go to like a game and like your feet stick to the floor, that's what this card feels like. I don't like it. I can't stop touching it. But at the same time, I don't like the feel of this card. It's not like a nice. You're like, I don't like it, but I can't stop touching it. Well, you know, you know what it's like? It's like velour and like a car. It, it doesn't feel like that, but like, 
I hate that feeling of velour, but like when I was a kid, I'd like run my hands over velour seats and be like, ugh, that's icky. But then I'd keep doing it anyways. Like, ugh, I don't like the way that feels, right? If you're going to caress a card, you probably want to caress something like super high gloss. Like you think of like an 0506 Beehive. Those have a nice real glossy feel to them, right? And this has like a sticky feel to it. Like you would put this on the floor to keep people from falling or something. That's the tech insert. I do like the fact that it has rainbow foil, but other than that, and you get all these other different flavors. You get your red cards and your green cards and your purple cards and your autumn cards, which is just a nice way of saying orange. So, yeah, I mean, they've gotten nuts with all the different parallels and, yeah, a tech card called wood that doesn't feel like wood. When I heard there were going to be wood inserts, wood in finger quotes, I thought they were going to be like etched in wood. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But that's not what this is. Yeah. So your other options there, other than wood, would also be leather, which I pulled a leather out of the box. This nice Peter Forsberg one that I'm How does it feel? There. Sort of feels like leather. Okay. It's got a very leathery feel to it. Like that smooth, but a little bit resistant to your finger. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I like or don't like rubbing my finger on it, but... It is, uh, does have a leathery feel to it. Uh, the other option for that would be Plexi. Those are much more rare. I think those are like one every two boxes or so, maybe three boxes. And I'm going to guess those are see-through or printed on plexiglass, I would assume. I haven't seen one yet, but those are the three types of tech card. And that is one of those hits, just to let you know. So that was one of those three, and you you got the wood. You got wood. So Joyous. there you go. There you go. There's always been parallels to artifacts. I'm really there's nothing I can say to that because they've always existed. Uh, have they gone overboard? Maybe. Yeah, um, kind of. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. So those tech cards, they're not in the base cards. They're only in the stars and goalies or the legends. So it's not like there's those three versions for all of the base cards. As far as everything else goes, that's a different story. So like ruby, copper, royal blue, emerald, autumn, rose, yellow, pink, purple, blue diamonds, purple horseshoes, all of that. (laughs) You know, all of those colors that they have, which I think even the retail has its own, like a jungle spectrum or something it's called, I think. Jungle platinum, jungle spectrum, something like that. Those are rare. They're like very few. I think I saw a couple floating around on eBay. But so, yeah, there's a lot of different ones. And you're like, well, why do they do this? You know, you already have Opeachy platinum with a million different parallels and you have Allure with a million different parallels. This is the world we're in now. Everybody wants to chase some kind of rainbow and have a bunch of variety and have a bunch of options. So this is what we end up with. We have it in every release. So this is where we're at. Even regular base OPG this year has extra parallels that haven't been in it before. You're like, that's blasphemous. Well, it is what it is. That's where we're at. You and I would rather pull base cards because we're trying to build a set. Right. (laughs) But, you know, we're not the average collector. So, you know, some of these other people might want a better shot at 
some of the hits and, and better chances at maybe another jersey card rather than one of these quote unquote tech cards. Well, it's just basically Upper Deck is now telling us that these tech cards are something to be desired. Like, an autograph is an autograph. And you go, okay, a player signed this card. It's an autograph of this player. That's special. A jersey card, you go, all right, it's a piece of a jersey, game-used jersey, or sometimes a stick or whatever. And you go, okay, that's special. Even though I'm not a super huge fan of game-used cards, over the years I've kind of warmed up to them a bit. But them saying oh well this tech insert is a hit i'm like no it's not it's not an autograph is a hit because a player signed that a jersey card is a hit because it's using a piece of game used memorabilia just taking a card and making it nicer isn't necessarily a hit like i mentioned this rainbow foil that they used on the wood card i love that i wish all the artifacts base cards had that rainbow foil on it that would be awesome but they just use regular silver foil which honestly these days you know it's used on every card you know just making the card a little thicker and giving it kind of a funky feel to it that's that's not a hit i'm sorry well if they were numbered it might maybe but would it make you feel better they're not numbered but they do have a lower count like the wood are only one out of 32 packs the leather are one out of 53 and the plexi are one out of 80 so I think that's why they constitute hits, because when it becomes one per box, I guess that essentially filters out to become a quote-unquote hit. I guess it all depends on what your definition of a hit is. To me, these rookie redemptions, I could care less about them, because nine times out of ten, it's not going to amount to much. Right. Unless you pull a team that you know had the top rookie or a guy that's halfway through the season doing amazing – you're probably going to get somebody good. But in the one box I opened, I had a Washington Capitals one. God knows who that is. And I don't care. So, you know, that does nothing for me. But yet that's part of the part of the thing. On the other hand, I was kind of anxious and hoping, hoping, I didn't, but I was hoping that I would pull one of those uh, Arena Artifacts cards. Have you seen mm-hmm. those? Mm-mm. Those are pretty awesome. They're only Boston Bruins ones. But each of the cards has a piece of the Boston Garden, like, in the card. So I didn't get one, but I was hoping I got one. And I like those game ticket. The game tickets are kind of cool. They kind of look like a ticket. And those have been done over and over and over again. But I don't know. I'm kind of a, kind of a sucker for that gimmick a little bit. So I ended up with two boxes at one point when I opened these. And I didn't get any Aram cards. And I was actually happy about that. Did you pull one? No. Did you okay. pull an autograph? I did not. Nor I've did I. Very few times in all the years of buying artifacts have I pulled an autograph. Very, very few. They used to be one per box back in the day. That was part of the formula. You'd get like two jersey cards and an autograph card. Yeah, I don't remember them being actually part of the pack out. So 1011 artifacts, I know we're going back 12 years now, but 1011 artifacts, I liked that set so much. I think I bought like five boxes of them and every box 
had an autograph. That was just part of the makeup of the set. Now well, there, I don't remember the autographs being like guaranteed in artifacts, but yeah, you might be right. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was five for five, I'm I'm pretty sure they were guaranteed. I mean, that was one. You just got a you got a hot case. That's all it was. Uh, I don't you know. got you got the hot side of the inner. Yeah, no, yeah, and I kept getting sabers for some reason, probably because I was buying them from DA Card World, and they're based in Buffalo, and maybe they got they Buffalo hot boxes. Maybe I don't know. It was just kind Actually, of just, that might be something weird on Urban Dictionary, so I probably shouldn't have said that. Buffalo hot boxes. A buffalo hot box. <laughs> Do not Google that. Don't yeah, don't look that up. With safe search off. And, and if it's something bad, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> uh, All the kids are going to be talking about buffalo hot boxes and. Well, between my two boxes, I can tell you, if I was a Seattle Kraken fan, I'd be happy. Okay. Because. I got a numbered Jaden Schwartz card. All right. And I got a numbered Alex Weinberg card. Okay. And I pulled a double jersey out of 249 of Yanni Gord with two colors. Now, that's nice because two yeah. colors and one of them's like that sea green or whatever they call it. Yeah, like the sea foam color. Or whatever. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's so nice. These are a decent couple for Kraken fans. But, you know, other than that, I did get a Matt Baldy. Dull jersey card out of one of the boxes, so that was kind of cool. It's Did you get a patch the, card? It's not a patch. It's just dual jersey, but it's the horizontal instead of the vertical. Uh, okay. So there's the vertical ones that have the jersey here and here, mm-hmm. and then they made them horizontal. There's a parallel. The horizontal ones, are, I guess, are more rare. The yeah, back they is, did that. The back is still year. vertical, but the front is horizontal. Yeah, they did the same thing last year with the horizontal and the vertical, but I got, same card, basically. Then I got a Hall of Famer Threads in Time of Marty Samoe. That was pretty much it as far as what what mine amounted to. And like I said, it is what it is. Artifact okay. is pretty much the same. The design is very similar from year to year. It always has some kind of like superimposed player over top of the backdrop design, and there's always some type of side border propping the card up to make it look a certain kind of way like it has its own feel and look to it i don't like the base card design this year i'll have to make a list and go through all of the artifacts set because i had this theory that i only liked artifacts every other year because i remember like 0809 artifacts if i remember correctly that's the one that looked like a leather-bound book that had the brass corners. Do you remember that one? Absolutely. That was a wonderful set. And then 1011, they almost looked like movie posters, but they had like kind of like a smoky background behind them. Yeah, and half of them were had a blue background, half were yellow. Yeah, half were blue, half were yellow. So my joke was that I only liked every other artifact set. So what I like about artifacts is that they kind of have that look of like, an old world map or a leather bound book or like last year, wasn't that like a thumbprint or something that it had in the background or was it a piece of tape, hockey tape or what was it? It it was like a fingerprint or something. Did we ever even figure that out? I know we talked about it. We talked about it when we did that show, right? Like, you know, I said I couldn't figure out if it was a weathered piece of fabric or a fingerprint. Right. But it still just kind of had like a cool, look to it right and this almost feels 
to me, I don't know what's behind the player, but this feels more like an SP authentic set. It's got way too much white on it. And then it's got like a, a colorful thing behind the player, kind of like SP authentic. So to me, this could have been an SP authentic design. And it's not what I'm particularly fond of. But that's my aesthetic opinion. Now that I'm looking at it, I don't really know what the background is. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. I mean, it's just a background. Maybe if you turn it sideways, it could be a scroll that's been rolled out. Yeah, it kind of looks like a scroll. You take the border pieces as those little tassel ends. Maybe it's a scroll that's rolled out. Okay, so if it's a scroll... And I understand that sometimes you open a scroll sideways, but a lot of times you open them from top to bottom, right? Like we call scrolling, like scrolling a computer screen is up and down, right? Yeah. So the fact that the scrolls, yeah, I feel like you lose that metaphor with this. Just like, remember 1991 score had the um, hockey rink design. It had the red line, the blue lines, and the goal lines. Yes. But then there were the sideway cars and it didn't feel right. Like, it looked right one way, but not the other way. Yeah. So the scroll yeah, would have might maybe worked if they had the scroll on the top and the bottom. That might have worked. You know what? I'm starting to think it's something else now. Mm. There's something in the background. Depending on the card that you grab, especially if you have colored parallels, find some of the ones that have a lighter background. And there's a pattern back there that when you compare it to the ones with darker, it's on the darker ones. It's just harder to see. Hmm. I don't know what that is. It almost looks like what you were saying originally. It almost looks like a map now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, I'm not so sure. So maybe it's a map on a scroll, but it just mm. doesn't feel. It's not I on the know. tech cards because the tech cards, the background on leather is leather and the background on wood is wood. Right. But on the others, it almost looks like a map. I wonder. Maybe it's a treasure. A national treasure. So I don't like the base card design. I'm underwhelmed by the jersey card designs. I didn't get an autograph, so I'm shooting blanks on this set. I try to be fair, and like I said, I like artifacts every other year. It seems like I like artifacts. Like I liked last year's base card design, and I'm actually trying to get all the Ryan O'Reilly rainbow variants of 21-22 artifacts. As far as 22-23 artifacts, eh, you know... Look, people who are going to buy it are going to buy it, whether I give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a thumbs sideways, you know. Sometimes I can get really excited about artifacts this year. I, For me, I, it's just not a set that I'm necessarily going to chase after. If I find a base set for cheap, I'll buy it because I like cheap base sets because I like cards. I like hockey cards. And even like a bad set of hockey cards, I still want in my collection because it's a set of hockey cards. And I'm not saying that this is a bad set of hockey cards. I'm just saying that it doesn't appeal to me. But even like a set where I go, oh, that design is not so great. I still want the set. I'm not going to kid myself. But this isn't one of them. This isn't one of the sets that I, I'm going to chase after. I'll pick up the cards of the players that I collect, and that's about it. Not like back in the day when even if I got jersey cards of players I didn't necessarily collect, they were still really cool jersey cards. Now they're just kind of, you know. I mean, you get two blue swatches, which I guess is better than two white swatches. But if you're going to give me a jersey card of a Sabres player, it could be one of each color. That's fine. Yeah. And again, this isn't this isn't for everybody, because if you're a set builder, it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. You know, building a, a 
base set. I'm sure you'll find them posted online for sale because of the case breakers that maybe put them together. Chances are you're not going to find the complete sets because the one through 100, those are easy to find. Everything else is short printed beyond 100. So you still have another 100 cards that you got to go after. Plus with parallels, the fact that there's 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 parallels to the just the base cards. And then add into that the tech parallels for all the stars and rookies and everything else. So that's a lot. It's definitely a lot to go after. Um, so this would be a very daunting task, that's for sure. So I don't think I'll be doing that this year. At least I haven't added that checklist to my ever-growing list of sets that I'm trying to build and probably never will finish. This isn't one that's popped up on there. Put it that way. All right. Well, I think we've said all we can say about this, unless you have any other thoughts. I don't know that I dislike it as much as you dislike it. It's just an eh set to me. It exists. Yeah. I acknowledge its existence, and I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it, says Tim Parrish of PuckJunk.com. <laughs> yeah, I acknowledge its right to exist, and I don't hate it. So there. Yes. A ringing endorsement indeed. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please write us a review if you get a chance. And please follow us on social media. Tim is at the Real DFG, and I'm at Puck Junk. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.